Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is John Roman, the CEO and co-founder of BattleBox, a monthly subscription service for receiving hand-picked outdoor survival EDC gear from some of the most innovative companies around. On this episode, John and I discuss the importance of quality control, subscription-based programs, the value in quality branding, and much more. Here's our interview now. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Very happy to have you, brother. So first off, why don't you tell me about BattleBox? Sure. So BattleBox is an adventure gear outdoor brand. Everything from, think, tents and fire starters to knives. Literally, if you're if you're going into the great outdoors, that's, that's the product we're sending you. Very cool. And uh, my understanding, this is based on like a, a monthly subscription model, right? Where people pay a certain fee every month and they get a specific box every month, depending on kind of the tiered system that they're at. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. So about, you know, a little bit greater than 90% of our revenue comes from, comes from this subscription box. We, we call the boxes missions. We just up, shipped out as of today, we're, we're finalizing our uh, 101st, so 101 missions, each one being a month. And uh, yeah, so they're they're tiered. We have four levels: basic, uh, advanced, pro, and pro plus. Starting at 35 a month, ending up at 170, all in with shipping and sales tax. You're looking at about 200, and uh, they stack on top of each other. So if you get the top tier box. You're getting everything that's in the lower boxes as well as an additional product. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a smart move. A hundred boxes, about a hundred months. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. So, congratulations to you, man. Thank you. And we're um we're celebrating it in in two weeks with I don't know if we discussed it all that the whole tank event or anything, but we can we can talk about that if you want. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that event. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. So we so the one hundredth box was we shipped it out in the beginning of June. And we literally put five golden tickets randomly in the boxes. Think legitimate Willy Wonka style. Love it. So if you got a golden ticket, it's exactly that. We're flying you and meeting you out. We're in Georgia, but we're gonna or some of the teams in Georgia were pretty remote, but we're gonna meet them in Texas. So fly them out of Texas, set up shop there. Then the next morning, we're all going to get on a bus, drive out about two and a half hours into rural Texas. And we're going to put each of the five um, golden ticket winners, contestants, each of them in an uh, legitimate live World War II tank. And they're going to take the tank. They're actually going to shoot fire the tank downrange at a target and if they hit the target, we're going to give them $100,000. Get out of here. That's amazing. So if they all like do it collectively, they all get the $100,000? Yeah, but I mean, they're all going to, there's five of them. Each of them gets their own time in their tank, their own job. That's amazing. What a lucrative idea, dude. I, I think that's really cool. And if I'm being totally honest, Willy Wonka is one of my favorite movies of all time. So that's Such a great movie. So any anytime we can. Yeah. A great shout out to that. Yeah, that's very cool, man. So I wanted to talk about BattleBox and, and, and essentially... First question I really have for you is that you and the company guarantee the quality, right, of, of the products that go into each box. So I'm curious what that product vetting process looks like for you guys. Oh man, it is a process, and we it, it's a process by design because if we're putting something in the box, we have to stand behind it. It's a big process, so it starts off with top of funnel potential items. So they come in one of several different ways. One, um, we have an internal procurement team and people that aren't in that department still wear that hat. We're always all looking for cool new products. So that's top of funnel for new products. 
Second is actually um, customer feedback. So we have a lot of ways for customers to submit product ideas and products they run across that they think should be in the box. And then the third is just organic on our website, where if you're a vendor, you have a cool product, you can submit it to us. Once that process starts and we're like, okay, this is a potential item, we're getting several samples of it. Sample is going to operations, a sample is going to procurement, and a sample is going to Brandon Curran, which is the face of Battlebox. And next step is, is him testing it. He's actually going to test it, put it to use, see how it holds up, if it's of quality. And you know, that serves two purposes. One, we're shooting that as content, which is great content as testing products. Second of all, if it passes that test, then, okay, it potentially has a stamp of approval on to be a battle box item. But then we have to then figure out the economics. Does Can we make it make financial sense with, with uh, the manufacturer, with the vendor? And if so, it then goes to um, our procurement panel, which is nine people. and we review the item, not the economics, just the actual item. And Brandon talks about testing it. And if literally two or more people say no, the item's just done. It's out. That's pretty close to unanimous. So two people, no questions asked. You obviously want to provide a reason why you're saying no um, to try to make the team better on items we're procuring and testing. But two items, no questions asked. The item is done, dead in the water. The cool thing about the procurement team panel that does that voting, we meet once a week. It's a diverse group throughout throughout our company. So you have people in their early 20s, you have people in their, their early 50s, um, you have the full, you have some people that are warehouse people, you have some people that are marketing people, people that have been in the military, you have civilians, you have the whole gambit of potential demographics in that. And we we selected those those nine by design. We wanted a very diverse, we have both genders in there. It's it's diverse. So we're really trying to find, we're we're trying to find a reason for two people to not like the item. Because if if we can get past that, then there's a strong possibility that our customers are going to like it too. That sounds very in-depth. And frankly, the thing that sticks out to me is the customer feedback and the product testing with you know your poster boy branded. And I think that that's a really good idea for multiple reasons. But the one that jumps out is it's, it's essentially quality retention marketing, where if I'm a customer of Battlebox, I feel seen and I feel heard. I'm going to probably stay with you for a really long time, especially even if my product isn't picked, but they're testing my product and I can watch a YouTube video of it. I feel like I'm part of a community more than just like paying money for something. Is that part of the goal? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a hundred percent that it, it is, it is all about, and you know, you and I were speaking earlier, we lead all of our decisions. We take two things into consideration, all business decisions. How does it affect content and how does it affect community? And that community aspect is very, very important to us. So we, every single month in, in each mission, one of the requirements are at least one of the items in the box has to be a customer referred recommended item, has to be. And then one of the items also has to be a staff recommended item. So it, it really is marrying both the battle box team, the battle box customers, everybody together. We're all kind of in it together to ensure there's, you know, each box is good. And that way, when you release the videos after the fact, people can be like, oh, that customer product was my favorite. So I know I'm in, in the right community of people 
or vice versa. If it was a staff item, like, oh, I trust these guys even more because they were the ones that recommended this item. I am curious now how you curate the boxes to ensure that customers get an original box each month. Because if I got an ax this month, if I got like a little, a little hatchet or something like that this month, that means they can't get one next month and probably shouldn't for the next two or three months. So I'm curious how you kind of keep changing the wheels enough to make sure that people are getting something original that they can look forward to every single month. Yeah, it's it's a it's a challenge. So everybody, you know, your first month, you're choosing a past box. We give you some options post per, post purchase on what you want your first box to be. After that, you fall in line with the upcoming current mission that everybody gets the exact same box, obviously there's tier levels but it's it's still identical. It's a challenge because to your point we sent a hatchet out in in July. No, we can't send it out again in October and November. We probably can't send it out again in July of next year. We really 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 make sure we we spread items out. Items aren't too similar. I think in repeat items in the 8 plus years we've been doing this, I think we've repeated now four items, but they were all items that if you were using the first one First of all, you'd have to be around six years ago to have to gotten both, which which is possible. There's a couple hundred people that have been with us the entire time. But um, if you have been with us the whole time and you did get the first one, if you used it at all in moderate use over the last six or seven years, it was time for another one anyway. That's smart. Yeah, we have we have a, almost like a template where we know certain types of items and categories. Once they're placed in a box, they can't appear in another depending on the product, another six months, 12 months, sometimes 18 months. So you take some things, there's there's a large amount of books, educational books for the outdoors, for camping, for adventure, for prepping, for anything that kind of in our in our wheelhouse, you know, it simply is gardening isn't even in the mix, but we can't send a book every month. So we have certain rules like books, for example, we're not going to do more than two in a year, certain types of knives, not a certain amount the amount of fire starters like it's it's a very ironed out process because you don't want people to get repeat similar items because it's then it takes away from the experience and it's something we're constantly improving and refining the process and unfortunately a lot of times we we can't think of any everything and we don't think of something and then you know we make that mistake so then we put a new process in place okay well we're now going to go 24 months between these. It's it's a constantly learning, evolving process. I think part of the strength in that is that y'all are the ones doing the research. So in, in my estimation, I didn't even really think about this until just now. Part of the price of admission to someone who's paying for these boxes is I don't have to put forth the the minutes to hours to days of research to find out which knife I want. I mean, that, that that that's a huge community in and of itself of just like knives. So if I could pay y'all, you know, 60 bucks a month to essentially do all that research for me and tell me this is the best one, that's probably worth its weight in gold, right? I mean, that's that's part of the intention. Yeah, and that's one of the, that is one of the value adds is that we're, we're testing, we're procuring, we're curating this. The interesting piece of it is that, trying to think the best way to think of this. If you look at it for face value, you know, our average, so 45% of our customer base is in the pro plus. It's the 170 plus sales tax, 200 all in. 45% are in the highest tier. Yeah. So when you look at that box as an example, on average, if a customer is going to source those products individually and buy them for themselves, probably worth about $350. 
So there's a significant like value add in, in product value. They can even not like one of the items, sell it and still be ahead of the game. Um, you have some people that literally just buy the box and sell some of it to pay for the box. But that's a huge value add, but we never lead with that at all. Like it's never, we make that, that's so far down the the value propositions we we even talk about um because we don't want it to be about the product we want it to be about things like you just described right we want customers to see the value in oh they're actually testing and procuring and curating the right stuff for us right there's this facebook community of you know 10,000 of us that can jump in and have any discussions in the world there's a buy sell trade group that that we're a part of there's things like the golden tickets and shooting a tank and winning 100,000 we want to provide the value and put enough value in the additional perks outside of the product. Because if we can deliver that and make the extra value in the box, just icing on the cake, it's difficult to execute. But if we can continue to execute, it puts us in an amazing spot. No, absolutely. And the buy sell group, again, that's that sense of community. And and look, if I was in it for you know four months earlier this year, and someone's and I'm not in it anymore, and someone's in it, and we could barter objects. I mean, that's kind of still the point is because it's word of mouth marketing at the end of the day, and and then people are incentivized. You know, I like these products more than the ones I got. Maybe I should come back now. And that brings me to my next question: How long do customers? generally use your services and participate in BattleBox? Yeah. So our, our average lifetime is a little over six months, about six and a half. That's great. I think that's got some decent longevity to it though. And you even mentioned that over a hundred have been in since the very beginning, which, you know, sounds like it's probably close to, it have to be like eight, nine years ago, right? Yeah. February, 2015 was the first one. No, that's great. And I'm curious about your journey personally in terms of working with BattleBox, because to my knowledge, you essentially started as a board member and uh, a marketing officer. And I want to say eight years time, you became the CEO. So I'm, I'm curious how you were able to climb that ladder. Yeah. If you would have asked me in 2015, if this is what I'd be doing for a living, I would 100% say there's no chance. In early 2015, I was still in my previous career, which was B2B sales. I was building sales teams for um, initially small business and then sales teams in middle and then enterprise level. And I had done you know moderately successful and I was investing in startup companies that were coming across my desk, whether it was network, old friend circles, et cetera. Heard about BattleBox and and quickly, quickly got involved. And, and the the expectations were very little. It was maybe just another set of eyes on things, very limited, you know, maybe a few hours a month of providing just value add and and then you know, board to have some kind of control over my investment. And it just it blew up. Fast forward in the second half of 2015, and I still have my full-time job or call it 50, 60 hours a week. And then BattleBox was taking just as much time. So I wasn't sleeping. It, it, I had to make a decision and it was uh, it became abundantly clear. So we launched in February, 2015. The first year we did about four and a half million in revenue, which, which was a huge liftoff. And in about April of 2016, looking at our, our run rate, we were gonna we were gonna hit eight figures um if if we had the right focus. So I just jumped in full time. So initially, you know, it was limited capacity, but 
I quickly found that the sales and the marketing and the technology piece and the customer service piece were kind of in my wheelhouse and I was learning it fairly quickly. Um, I didn't understand the procurement side and I didn't understand the the shipping side and I didn't understand the finance side, but I understood all the other aspects of the business. So it just made sense at that point in in April 2016 is just to join full time. The run rate of Battlebox was equivalent to the current revenue of the of the startup I was with. So it just I have fake equity over here, I have real equity here, and I can't do both anymore. So yeah, jumped into it and took the role of of CMO and we did that through the Netflix TV show and we had an exit which wasn't final. I'll, keep going on this. In October 2021, we were acquired by a company called Emerge. They're a SPAC out of um, Toronto. The reason that happened is there were, when I initially, there were four of us that were partners that um, had the company. When I came on board full-time, one of the first things I was, it was agreed that I was going to do was I was going to structure and negotiate a buyout of one of the four partners to get us down to three. Completed that. There were three of us left, um, myself, Patrick, and Daniel. And Daniel, he eventually lost interest. He didn't have the passion anymore. We had really two options. We had one, buy, buy him out. Um, and he had, a, he had a, the lion's share of the equity battle box was his idea. He came up with the name and the logo um, and the concept. So he had a, a, a big chunk of equity. And you know he wanted this multiplier off EBITDA, which was fair, but it's not something that a small business, myself and Patrick, the other two people could justify one, finding the money, two, like it's just a big risk with a six-year payment. So we looked for a strategic partner to acquire us that we thought would be a good partner to grow with. Um, and that's where we found an emerge. So it accomplished a few things. One, it allowed us to put some money in our our pocket. It allowed Daniel to retire and get out of the business. And we thought it was, you know, a great partner to try to take it to the next level and turn it into a $100 million company. So at the time of acquisition is when I, I Daniel retired and I moved into the CEO role. To no fault of Emerge, it just ended up not being a fit. Publicly traded, we know what the markets did over the past couple of years. You know, market caps went down, debt rates went up. They were just in an in a interesting spot. So it eventually made sense for us to reacquire Battlebox and take it private again which we did um, in April of this year. It's been a journey. Yeah, man, a- absolutely. And I was looking through your history a little bit and saw that you were previously the CEO of of something that was kind of a similar idea to Battlebox. Uh, that's called the Carnivore Club, where it was, you know, monthly subscription, except it was meat instead of like survival outdoor gear. So I'm curious, John, if, if that kind of prepared you for this job, it, in the CEO position or even the CMO position, more specifically, I'm I'm curious what some of the things that you learned in that job or mistakes you made in that job that you were able to take with you into your current role. Sure. So Carnivore Club was a it was it was a previous role, but it was also happening at the same time as this. So Carnivore Club was is exactly what we described. It's a monthly artisanal meats, salamis, prosciutto, stuff like that. It's a uh, Shelf stable meats. Battlebox actually acquired the brand. It was a Toronto-based company, older than Battlebox, but we acquired it on in July 2019. That's amazing because because you knew the guts, so you were like, 
I know that this is a good purchase because I was there. So we purchased that and we knew that with our team, our marketing team, our content team, um, everything for the most part, with a few exceptions being in-house, we knew we could we could bring that in. They had some talent, talent people-wise that we wanted to join the team. We saw synergies. So we made that acquisition and then, and I led that acquisition and, and oversaw it, but I don't know if it necessarily took, if there were any learnings from it that helped, helped me today. Ultimately, when we, when we sold the business, we sold Battlebox and Carnivore Club both back or not both back, both to Emerge it two months ago in April, when we, um, when we bought it back, we bought Battlebox back, but they kept Carnivore Club. So it's, it's been a weird passing of hands and changing things. A little up. lateral here and there. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it works out the way it's supposed to. No, that's, that's a really cool story all in all. I'm curious why you think specifically monthly subscription-based programs like Battlebox or Carnivore Club, or, you know, most famously to, to my ears, like the Dollar Shave Club or something like that. Why are they so lucrative? Is, is it the, the community aspect? Is it the fact that people can kind of come in and out as much as they want to? I mean, why, why is this something that has been so popular and lucrative in the last, I'd say, four or five years? Yeah, so it's the barrier to entry is, is interesting. At, a, at surface level, it seems like it's very low. In reality, to get to a certain point in size and growth and, and relative success, the barrier to entry is very, very difficult. I, I think you're spot on building building the community piece. Our secret sauce is the content and community. That's that's what separated us from from everybody else. It's it's difficult and it's it's lucrative, but like in a post COVID world, most subscription um, boxes, if you will, they're all hurting. Right? I'd say the average one is down maybe 40 percent year over year in 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 size. So they took a, a a big hit. Subscription boxes typically are discretionary spending, right? So it's so it's it's on the need want scale. It's it's definitely on the the want side, not the need side. So you have to you have to have some separation. You know, we look at like Dollar Shave Club. I think some of that, just like some of us was timing, they were, you know, a pioneer in the concept of it's mutually beneficial to have the subscription in their sense, right? You and I don't want to have to worry about always getting razors and they're going to just send them to us every month. And it really helps both sides, right? We're giving them revenue, but they're making our lives easier. I think it's a difficult time just across the board for subscription boxes. If if you are on that, the want side of the need want scale, I think you have to provide a lot of additional value and you need to focus on content, focus on community, focus on value add outside of what's what's coming in the box. It's, I think it's difficult actually. Because it's not all tangible. It's not, it can't all be placed on a dollar value. Right. Cause when, cause as soon as you take are going in that direction, you're just commoditizing yourself and it's not, it's not fun. I think it's, it's kind of clear how these brands see themselves when it's called the Dollar Shave Club or Carnivore Club. I mean, those are places where communities come together. I don't think that's just like a cool sounding name, you know? Dollar Shave Club have fanatic customers that that are raving about the brand. But also, I mean, those guys, when it comes to um, video content, I mean, they put out some 
some amazing content that that had major virality. And I want to talk about yours because that's a, a major part of your marketing and, and your plan as well. Before we get there, I did want to ask about subscription programs as a whole, if you see their popularity growing or dwindling. I was actually reading a report this morning. So SubSummit, it's a subscription conference and they're looking at all subscriptions. So think subscription box, think subscribe and save, membership, streaming, the whole, the whole gambit of, you know, reoccurring revenue. And they had the, uh, this year, there'll be a 200 billion in subscription revenue, but by 2027, it's going to be over a trillion. So it's, it's, it's definitely growing. I think you look at the, the streaming subsection right now, and they're all starting to be, they, they killed the cable guys that we all were against. And now they're starting to behave in a similar manner. They're all starting to jack up their rates. And you're seeing like, there was that, hey, let's cut the cord and and get streaming services because it's better and more efficient and more affordable. And now there's so many different streaming services. People have multiple sometimes and the cost is just going back up to where it was on the cable side. I think that's probably a, a big chunk of that, you know, soon to be few years, trillion dollar subscription industry. You look at Amazon Prime, that's a subscription, right? 64% of US households have it, which is wild that they've they've had that much penetration. And there's a bunch of others that are, you know, think Walmart plus their service, 24% of US households have that, which is which is wild to me. Um, so that's a big chunk of it. When when you're looking at the other aspects of it, I think it's a big chunk of it is maybe subscribe and save, right? So something like whether it's razors or something you're using on a reoccurring basis to just make sense to subscribe. And then on the 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 far end of it, where the the battle boxes of the world or the pip sticks or other subscriptions, it's you know creating something else, whether it's community. Um, additional value add and, and building that community or building that content, which in turn builds community is, is where you can excel. You look at um, like the reverse engineer of it. We were a brand that then focused on content and community. You look at the flip side, the best example is Mr. Beast, right? He didn't have a product. He just put out cool content and built an amazing community and grew it astronomically. And then he dumped brands in. And he jumped, dropped Feastables in there and, you know, his Beast Burgers and both were instant overnight successes doing crazy amounts of revenue because of that content and community that he had built. It's interesting. I think in that that far end of, of this growing revenue is the discretionary income where consumer behavior is at a point where for that discretionary income, you want to buy from a, a brand you connect with, right? You feel some kind of connection with. And that's that's where we're excelling currently. And something that I, I hear you say, John, is, is with the increased potential revenue from subscription-based programs, at least in the in the streaming analogy, the problem with these streaming networks is that they don't make money. Everyone is dump is is spending money to keep up with the Joneses while Netflix is the only one making money. So after a while, the same thing happened with cable. And they were forced to cannibalize each other, which is what's going to happen with these streaming platforms. But in, in your example, since there is so much money to still be made, that cannibalizing process, it sounds like from what I'm hearing you say, won't be a, a, a 
necessity in these subscription-based programs where Dollar Shave Club is all the way up here. We're down here. We're not making money. So they need to buy us. From what I'm hearing you say, that won't need to happen because it's an industry that's just generating more and more revenue, not less and less. Yeah. I think that's I think that's accurate. I think there will be some consolidation among among subscriptions. We've spoken to a few of our competitors through the years. We've we've acquired some. I think there will always be some consolidation, but to your point, it is growing at such a rapid rate. And so many brands are offering some sort of membership or subscription. I think it the, there's still enough cake for everybody at the moment. Yeah, no, that's great. So moving on to your video content and and your your kind of content-based marketing. I saw some of your videos with, I think his name's Brandon Curran, 1776. Yeah. I'm curious, this, this guy really caught my attention. I literally threw a video on and within 30 seconds, I was kind of giggling to myself and, and I bought it. You know, I, I bought into the authenticity of it. I'm curious if he was kind of like a hired gun that you found who was just an influencer that you decided to make a face or how did he kind of, if I'm being honest, it's it's very rare that an influencer like that works for me. So I'm curious what his process and involvement with the company is and was. Yeah. So the story of Brandon is, is such a good one. You know, we launched in February, 2015 and part of our initial strategy was we were sending 30 of the BattleBox Pro Pluses out to YouTubers just to do reviews, to get content, or get some buzz. We were tracking it all in a Google Google spreadsheet. On the other side of the table, we had a, uh, you know, it's cringe to say now, but we had a uh, pre-purchase survey on where do you, how did you hear about us? Which typically you don't want to have that pre a, a survey of where you heard about us pre-purchase. Different times, you know, we were acquiring customers for $5. It was wild, wild west. So we had that that pre-purchase survey and it was, how did you hear about us? And we had the usual suspects, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google, and uh, there was an other. You could click the other and you could type, type what the other was, right? So in the first couple of months, we saw a large number. Like first month, it was maybe like 15%. Second month, 20% were clicking other and they were writing current current 1776 in. And if people are going out of their way to do that, you know, the number is even higher. Just to be clear, it's even higher than what you're seeing, you know, because you're only seeing a very segmented part of the population. That means if you're seeing 15, 20%, it's probably closer to like 30, 40%. 100%. Yeah. So, so we saw that. And I remember like it was yesterday, we were jumping in the Google sheets of the comp boxes and we don't see this current current 1776. He's not in the list of the comp boxes. So we then jump on YouTube. We find him. He has a channel. We then do a little bit of uh, internet sleuthing. We find out his name is Brandon Curran. We look him up in the system in 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 our back end, and he's a paying customer. <laughs> That's awesome. Giving us 150 a month, and he has a full time job. But at nighttime, he's uh, and he'd done some um, some work before. He'd been on some hunting hunting TV shows. And um, at nighttime, his passion was putting out some content. He was doing these battle box reviews. And we said, okay, we immediately reached out to him. We said, hey, Brandon, we love what you're doing. We're going to just send you the box moving forward. You don't don't have to keep paying. Like keep, keep the 150, but keep these reviews coming and the box is free. We did that. And then like four or five months went by and we reached out to him. And we're like, hey, Brandon, um, we need to keep doing these videos. We're also going to give you $500 a month. Just 
make sure they're posted by this date. Like these are great. Then the next conversation was, Hey, Brandon, so you're in North Carolina. You got a wife, three kids. Do you want to quit your day job, your career, and just move down to Georgia and shoot content full time? He said, yes. The family moved down here. It's such a such a crazy story to see him going from a, a, ho- a nighttime hobby and a paying customer to, to literally the face face of BattleBox. So he is now a full-time employee for BattleBox. 100%, yeah. That's amazing. I don't want to sound cheesy or anything like that, but that kind of shows me where you and the company's head is at, is that one, this guy loves your product enough so much that he was just um, paying you to market your stuff for you. And different people would have been just like, okay, and then move on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that you put 10 other people in that scenario and at least six of them are going to be like, cool. So we get, we get money and free marketing moving on. But the fact that you instead fostered a relationship, gave this gentleman an, an opportunity and not saying gave it to him. He obviously earned it, but it's 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 like you established this relationship that was based on something more than monetary value. And, and I think that does kind of put your company's integrity and values money where its mouth is instead of just kind of saying that's a great example of you guys actually doing something that shows how much you value that community aspect of this brand. I just commend that. No, thank you. And it, the cool thing is like, that's the story that's told the most, but we have a couple other. So Luke Bagley, uh, he runs customer service, customer experience for the company. He was he was a paying customer too. And uh, he was a, a, a full-time RN. He just, his hobby was battle box gear. And we started, we had a forum, which got converted to a Facebook members only group now. But back when it was like Reddit style forum, we, we always at all times had five moderators. And they were just people that were in the forum super active. We'd say, Hey, do you want to be a moderator? We're going to comp your box to you get your box for free now. And in turn, you know, help us, help us moderate the forum. And he was a paying customer turned moderator turned part-time wanted, was trying to just make some extra money um, outside of being a nurse and wanted uh be a part-time customer service person. And then it, it turned into full-time and then it turned into, he runs the entire team. It, there's a couple others where it's like, it's customers that are, it really is a community because you're seeing these customers come into our side and and then they know the product just as well as we do. And they have the same passion, if not greater. And it's it's invigorating. No, that's a great word for it too, man. And it is kind of that perfect sort of marketing strategy of I'm not, you know, working for this company because I need a job or I'm not being paid by these guys because I need the money. I got this job because I back the product so much. My brand allegiance and the community aspect is so important to me and valuable to me that I'm fortunate to have a job. It's kind of more of like a, a you know chicken and the egg thing, if, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Yeah. So I'm curious about these unboxing videos that that Brandon does how valuable they are in marketing BattleBox to a broader audience. They're important. So there's, you know, initially it was, it was just the unboxing. So our, actually the mission 101, he's, he's working on it literally today and it's either posting tonight or in the morning, depending on a couple of variables, but it's, they're, they're really important in the sense that they educate the consumer on everything that's in the box, but also the why behind it. Um, it'll, it'll be, you know, B-roll 
when we're going over a product, showing actual use of it from back when we tested it. There's a lot of value in the videos, but I think from attracting new customers, don't get me wrong, some will jump on and, and watch a bunch of unboxings to get a better understanding of the brand. And they'll watch unboxings from other channels. There's probably 50 a month spread across cha social channels. But I think it's the additional content we do, the product testing, the the skits, the 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 stuff that maybe has more of a human element to it that attracts attracts audience members that you know might not have heard of BattleBox or even been served an ad. It's it's that organic. You know, we do some content that we think potentially has virality to it, just to get them more eyeballs on there. And I'm curious, do you do those unboxing videos before it goes out so people know what to expect? Or is that after people already get the box? So in a, in a perfect world, the video should drop the day that the boxes arrive. So we, we were a little strategic. Now, not all boxes arrive the exact same day, but we try to go, we're shipping out of Georgia. We try to go West Coast to East Coast. So everybody gets a, a similar delivery and they all get delivered within a few days. But perfect world, our video drops the same day that the first boxes are. Just so, if, in 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 fairness and transparency, you know, if if we don't offer that video and and at least like explain some products, they might not be received with the same excitement or understanding. They might look at this and be like, "This is dumb. I don't get it." But if they had seen the video, they would understand. Oh, I can use it for this. I can use it for that. Should not ever have to use it, but by having it in case of an emergency. So in a perfect world, they drop that day. Now, um, it's funny, as we were recording this, we had the first boxes get delivered a couple hours ago, and they've already leaked online. And I immediately was like, Brandon, how far are we from the video? Like, it, we need to post it as, as soon as possible. He's like, getting ready to upload it. It's obviously, you know, over a terabyte. So that's not going to be quick. So we're not perfect. We try though. No, no, but I I think that's a, a good strategy because what I'm hearing you say, John, is that your content is more designed as auxiliary content for people who are already in the community and buying the boxes than it is as like marketing for new audience. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I would say it can be a little bit of both too, but the, I kind of hear that it's, it's definitely more auxiliary content for the people who are already in the community. So they're like sticking and staying, you know? Yeah. I would say when it comes to the monthly unboxing, I would say 80% of the viewers are existing customers who, who want to better understand the product and 20% are, you know, call them prospects They're somewhere in the funnel. Um, or maybe they used to be customers and they're looking for validation on why they should come back or validation on why they shouldn't. So yeah, it's it's for both, but, you, but you're absolutely right. It definitely serves a majority purposes auxiliary to the existing. One of my last questions, I got only like a couple more. When it comes to subscription models in general, does it help to be more niche or, or, or niche? I think that most of these programs. You know, I, I have other other friends and people who did some similar things, but it's kind of like geek or nerd culture where you get specific, I don't know, comic books or figurines and stuff like that, depending on cartoons and that sort of stuff. I'm curious if this sort of subscription model only works for niche communities. I think you can move the needle and it's easier to build community and offer that subscription service to a niche. Um, industry and it allows you to fully grab that niche. But you look at um, you look at some of the female subscription boxes, the 
the FabFit funds where they have, you know, hundreds of thousands of active subscribers. Um, and, you know, Birchbox, which at one point had a billion dollar valuation, you know, they were sent there. It was a niche. It was basically any woman that likes any kind of healthcare products or uh, beauty products. So there can be success outside of it, but it's, I don't know. I think, I think either, either, or I think when you're going larger, it might be more difficult because how do you get messaging spread across so many different types of people probably is a little bit of a challenge while we're targeted on a very specific niche of people that like to get outdoors. Yeah. I think you could do both. I think they both have their own unique challenges. Cool. Last question I've got for you, John, it's the same question I ask everyone at the end of the show with the 24, seven, 365 lifestyle of an entrepreneur. You said it yourself, you were working a hundred hours a week at one point in time. I find it really important to have a healthy work life harmony or balance. And with something that's focused on hobbies and interests so much, um, I'm curious what you do in your free time to ensure good mental hygiene. Yeah, no, it, it's it's very, very paramount. I, I don't think I'd be alive anymore if if I was still doing 100 hours a week. That's That's why I had to figure out one of the two because you have to have separation and you have to make time outside of work. So if it's just me time, and the wife is not involved. I'm in my uh, middle ages, but these are baseball cards. Oh, super cool. I, I yeah. thought they were products, if I'm being honest. Everybody thinks they're, thinks they're products. So I'm a big sports card collector. That's my personal time. That's just me time. Um, there's something nostalgic about, and it brings back memories of, of me collecting sports cards when I was a kid. So that's my personal hobby. Hobby with, with the wife is traveling. Love, love traveling. That's one of my top passions and, and going places and seeing history. Those are the two things that I will always make time for. Love that, man. It's been a pleasure sitting down with you, John, and good luck with BattleBox, buddy. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'd like to thank my guest, John Roman, for joining me on the show and come back on Tuesday when I talk with Khalid Salah, the co-founder of FigPi and the CEO of Invest, a SaaS platform and marketing consultancy, respectively, which specialize in conversion rate optimization. For more information about John, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. You can also follow him on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at John M. Roman, or follow him on Instagram at Johnny Romes, spelled J-O-H-N-N-Y-R-O-M-E-S. To learn more about BattleBox, you can check out their website, BattleBox.com, that's spelled without the E. Follow them on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at BattleBox, or on Facebook at BattleBox1. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until then.